Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Ditch the clowns on the left and the jokers on the right and join Michael Smirkanish right here in the middle. This is the Smirkanish podcast for independent minds. Joe Rogan is the latest of the hmm, COVID skeptical talkers to now contract COVID. And I wish him well, truly. I know that some see all of this as poetic justice. I think it's all just a terrible shame and frankly, in large measure, avoidable. But Rogan's not alone in questioning the vaccine and then contracting COVID. Phil Valentine, I I knew Phil Valentine because although he was from Nashville, he came to Philadelphia briefly and assumed morning show responsibilities on a radio station where I first began. Phil Valentine was, I have to get used to saying that, the Nashville-based radio host who was openly skeptical of COVID-19, then became hospitalized Uh, Had an epiphany moment. Unfortunately, it was on his deathbed. He was only 61. Mark Bernier, I think that's the pronunciation of it. Daytona Beach radio host called himself Mr. Anti-Vax. Declared that the government was acting like Nazis in urging people to get vaccinated. He, too, caught it. Died. 65 years old. Two more anti-vax radio hosts who died of COVID in August. Jimmy DeYoung. He was 81. He was a nationally syndicated Christian preacher, also based in Tennessee. Dick Farrell, 65, had worked for stations in Miami and Palm Beach, had done some work as well for Newsmax. And if I if I deviate from the talk host and go into the, the preacher realm, uh, during a homily last December, Cardinal Raymond L. Burke criticized his fellow members of the church for not believing that Jesus Christ would protect them from the coronavirus pandemic. This 73-year-old was an early critic of social distancing, later an unabashed skeptic of the vaccine, contracted COVID on a ventilator last month, currently still hospitalized at last report, but now off the ventilator. And, and something else pertaining to Rogan. We've had a conversation in the last few days about ivermectin uh, from NPR. Joe Rogan, the mega popular podcast host who has suggested that young fit people don't need to get the COVID-19 vaccine, has announced he tested positive, but is feeling fine thanks to a cocktail of unproven medical treatments. In an Instagram video, the 54-year-old said that he felt very weary on Saturday, got tested for COVID the following day. Quote, throughout the night, I got fever sweats and I knew what was going on. After the diagnosis, he said he threw the kitchen sink at it. That included ivermectin, the deworming veterinary drug that's formulated for use in cows and horses. As we talked about yesterday, the FDA and the CDC urging people to stop ingesting the animal version 
of the drug to fight COVID-19. So there's that. And also, this news about Joe Rogan comes as ICU beds continue to be at a premium across the country. And let me just give you some of this data from CNN and then take you where I really want to go in this first hour of the program. Uh, CNN reporting, as COVID-19 cases surge across the U.S., particularly among the unvaccinated, hospitals have been pushed to their limits, treating the influx of patients, and five states are nearly out of ICU beds. So Alabama, Georgia, Texas, Florida, Arkansas have less than 10 percent left of their ICU bed capacity. By the way, this is data from the Department of Health and Human Services. In Georgia, the CEO of Northeast Georgia Health System said it had 287 COVID patients Monday morning, which is more than the hospital has had since January. Quote, so in essence, our hospitals are full. Okay, here's the question. It's a question about the allocation of scarce resources. Should a patient's vaccination status be considered when hospitals allocate scarce ICU beds? And it's Nancy Gibbs who frames this issue for The Washington Post. You may remember her as being the former editor-in-chief of Time magazine. She's been a guest on this program. She's currently at Harvard. But she's the one who's asking whether... Your vaccination status ought to be considered as hospitals make allocations of scarce ICU beds. And I'll bet immediately some of you are saying, well, wait a minute, we don't do it for smoking and drinking. And she acknowledges that. She says, as an oncologist friend explained to me, he does not shame lung cancer patients if they smoked for 30 years, nor does the emergency room doc turn away the drunk driver with lacerations or the gang member who's got a gunshot wound. We only ever have incomplete facts, and if caregivers shift from weighing who needs care most to who deserves it, the slope gets very slippery very soon. But still, she goes on to point this out. I didn't know the origin of the word triage. I, I always thought triage meant emergent tre- or emergency treatment, but She points out that triage comes from the French word to choose or select. Hospitals have scoring systems for prioritizing patients based on multiple factors, such as the seriousness of their condition and chance of recovery. And the question now is whether someone who refuses to get a life-saving vaccine approved by the FDA should have the same claim to scarce health care resources as, as those who were vaccinated. And what's interesting is that a group of Texas doctors looked at this idea in a private memo that was then obtained by the Dallas Morning News. They noted that because a patient's prognosis is part of the equation and vaccination reduces the chances of severe infection and death, then vaccine status ought to be considered when making triage decisions as part of the physician's assessment of each individual's likelihood of survival. That last part is a a quote. I pulled the Dallas Morning News, and the first thing that I see is that this coverage ran on August 19, and by 8.15 that night, the Dallas Morning News was putting a a disclaimer of sorts at the top. Quote, after this story was posted, Dr. Mark Casanova gave interviews to local media and revised his story. 
He described the memo to the task force as a quote-unquote homework assignment. In a reversal, he told the NBC affiliate that vaccinations should not be among the factors hospitals should consider when making critical care triage decisions. So the explanation from Dallas where there was deliberation about this, oh, that was just a, you know, a thought experiment. Let me let me frame this a little bit better with the Dallas Morning News coverage. A copy of an internal memo written by Dr. Robert Fine, he's the co-chair of the North Texas Mass Critical Care Guideline Task Force, was sent to members of the task force, then leaked to a group called the Watchdog. It summarizes the latest work by the task force, a volunteer group that periodically updates medical guidelines for hospitals in our region. There are about 50 members from various hospitals in the group. Although their recommendations are not enforceable, the guidelines are generally followed. Okay, so this is a group of medical leaders in North Dallas. They get together on a regular basis, try and come up with standards for treatment. They wrote a one page summary memo that is a quote unquote heads up. In, in order, or, or if, for example, the situation should take a turn for the worse. And then there are quotes from Dr. Casanova, who's identified as the director of clinical ethics for Baylor. Quote, we're trying to decide how to explain this addition to the public, said Dr. Casanova. Yet, as they're weighing whether vaccination status should be factored into the triage decisions, the prioritization of patients, a leading medical ethicist who studies COVID-19 and how it affects disparate communities, says he worries that adding vaccination status to the triage of patients is going to unfairly harm low-income people and people of color. Why? Because these groups are historically disadvantaged when it comes to obtaining proper medical care. An important note, says the Dallas Morning News, is that a non-vaccinated person will not necessarily be denied care when competing with a vaccinated patient. Other medical factors will come into play, such as underlying conditions and the likelihood that a patient will get better and leave the hospital. In other words, the narrow question is, should vax status be among those criteria that are evaluated? And and what did the thought experiment in Dallas generate? Quote, the online meeting involving several dozen doctors representing many area hospitals took place on Monday. This goes back two weeks. Afterward, in his email, co-chair Fine summarized decisions made by the task force. He boiled it down to three bullet points, and here they are. Okay, so they get together. They go through this process. Here's what they come up with. One, COVID-19 vaccination decreases severe infection and death. Vaccine status, therefore, may be considered when making triage decisions as part of the physician's assessment of each individual's likelihood of survival. Hey, if COVID-19 vaccination reduces your level of infection and death, that's something a doctor ought to know when making a determination as to triage. That makes perfect sense to me. Two, when vaccination status is considered, accommodations may be needed When the reason for non-vaccination is beyond the patient's control, such as but not limited to caretaker refusal to have a disabled dependent vaccinated, recent COVID-19 infection or medical contraindication, indication, pardon me, contraindication. And finally, number three, 
Many are understandably angry and frustrated with the unvaccinated, but triage must remain grounded upon likelihood of survival. Healthcare professionals should continue to honor duties of care and compassion. So that's what was going on in Dallas that gave rise to Nancy Gibbs writing in the Washington Post and saying, hey, should we be considering vax status when determining who gets the beds that are now scarce in ICUs? And she, as I say, acknowledges the smoking analogy, the drinking analogy, the gang analogy. We treat smokers who have lung cancer. We treat gang members who have gunshot wounds. We, we treat uh, the alcoholic in a car accident. But then she says this, and yet something still feels different about the debate over treating the unvaccinated. Healthcare workers recount the trauma of too many shifts, too many deaths, too many avoidable tragedies. It's soul crushing to watch people die because they made bad choices. Partly, it's the maddening hypocrisy. The patients who proudly dismiss science right up until the moment their lives depend upon it. Partly, it's the sanctimony, the assertion of personal freedom over any sense of public good. And then she explains that this tension strikes close to home for her because she had cancer surgery not long ago and had been living in one of the many states with exploding caseloads and her procedure might have been postponed. Doctors are being forced to delay all kinds of treatments that feel anything but elective in the face of such overcrowding. Imagine, she writes, if some private hospital corporation or even a state legislature ruled that when you arrive at the emergency room, you need either proof of vaccination or proof that you were medically unable to be vaccinated to have an absolute right to care. Otherwise, care is conditioned on whether there is room. I know we'll never do this, but don't spoil my fun. Isn't it interesting to think about where this would lead? Would that count as legitimate protection of the public good? One more step in the penetration of politics into demilitarized zones. Vax Americana wants to hold the unvaccinated accountable for the public toll of their private choices. But once through the hospital doors, that's a dangerous piece of road. We depend on health care providers to save us from the cumulative costs of our luck, our imperfections, our weaknesses, and we are none of us perfect trust between doctors and patients depends on the exercise of medical not moral judgment as we all benefit from their dispassion so yes cheer the colleges the restaurants the corporations that are mandating vaccines keep working hard to persuade your unvaccinated cousin to step up but praise the caregiver who might one day save that cousin's life if he does it yeah we really can't do it but it sure is interesting would you do it Imagine if some private hospital corporation or a state legislature said that when you get to the ER, you better have proof of vaccination or proof that you were medically unable to be vaccinated. Otherwise, you're not getting the absolute right to care. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Michael Smirconish for Independent Minds. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? 
In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.